Hello and welcome to the October DCM podcast. Uh, I'm going to introduce myself this month. My name is Tom Linnae. I mean, I always forget to introduce myself. I just assume that you regular loyal listeners know who I am. But if you don't, my name is Tom Linnae. I'm head of film at DCM. Um, and before we get started, I'm just going to remind everyone that the podcast is available on iTunes. So open up the podcast app on your phone, click subscribe or search digital cinema media, click subscribe and it will automatically be posted into your podcast app. Um, joining me today is film journalist Ian Sandwell. Hello, Ian. Hello, Tom. Now, before we get uh, talking about our main subject for this month's podcast, say people listen to the podcast and think, I like that guy's voice and he says interesting things, where can they find your writing? Uh, they can find my writing on Screen International, screendaily.com, and also recently on Digital Spy. Or if you're just interested in my general film musings, it's on Twitter, Ian underscore Sandwell. That's great marketing. No one's ever said their Twitter handle on this as well. I should say oh, my, tw- my, my Twitter handle is at Tom Linnae. So if you want to follow me on Twitter... But you've changed your Twitter handle, that's the problem. Only yeah, about six months ago. So, it's yeah. all fine. But um, Ian is... Uh, Predominantly known as the box office guru, aren't you? Uh, UK box office, at least. So um, if you want to know what's happening in the UK box office, Ian's column goes... Is the, Ian's the first person in the UK to publish the figures. That's correct, yes. And you can read that on a Monday morning column. On a Monday morning, yeah. It depends. It goes up as soon as I know the number one film. It goes up. Um, so hopefully I try to get it by midday, but sometimes it doesn't always work out that way. But I also tweet the international estimates on a Sunday night so you can get a rough idea of what the chart's going to look like. And then I often retweet in. But we also put the box office figures in our weekly mail out, which is um, our box office mail out, which goes out on a Wednesday, which you can sign up to. But there's an absolutely no competition <laughs> between me and Ian. It's a friendly um, collaboration. Yes, for sure. Because uh, mine, mine are often non-final as well. So yeah. I don't... Mine are always final. Yes. Like final and late. Final and late. Uh, final and correct, <laughs> I prefer to say. So this month, um, we're going to be talking about the 59th BFI London Film Festival, which came to a close on Sunday night. It brought the curtain down on uh, on a pretty damn good 12 days of cinema in the UK's capital. Uh, the closing night film was Danny Boyle's Steve Jobs, which we'll come on to um, later. But we saw quite a few films between us. I think it came worked out about 30 films between the pair of us. Um, and rather than go through all the films, because we did see, Ian and I saw a film together, actually, which was called Ghost Theatre. I wasn't going to mention this. but A classic, a classic, for sure. uh, A Ghost Theatre, which was uh, directed by Hideo Nakata, who's a very revered director of a Japanese film called Ringu, which kind of is a landmark in horror cinema. Yeah, which he's never quite recovered from. Or Dark Water came close. And it would appear that with Ghost Theatre, he is never going to recover from. No, but I mean, at the end of the day, it was about... It's about lifelike dolls, which are inherently creepy. But the rest of it is just... Yeah, it's the acting, it's everything. It's just a bit... Once you've seen a doll move stiltedly towards a victim, once you've seen it... You don't need to see it the times. following half dozen times. No, although I did like when the skull started breaking out and it was flesh underneath. That was cool. Yes. But the rest of it is just Yeah, don't see Ghost painful. Theatre, guys. No. Well, it hasn't got UK well, distribution. Got UK distribution so. but you, or you could see Ghost Theatre. Yeah. But, um, uh, Other films are available. But we're going to focus on five films each that we particularly wanted to highlight from the festival. Um, you've chosen your five. I've chosen my five. Um, do you want to mention your first choice? 
first choice would be Room, which seemed to be the breakout hit as far as I was aware. I didn't see any negative reactions to it afterwards when it came out of screen. It's the adaptation of Emma Donoghue's novel, which was everywhere a couple of years back, and stars Brie Larson as a mother who lives in captivity with her son. Um, and that's just how it's been. And the film takes place within the room where they're locked in. And then halfway through, if you've read the novel, you'll know, but halfway through, and they spoil it in the trailer, they get out and it's more about how she adapts to real life along with her son, who's known nothing else in aside from life within this room. And so the room is, they were actually, kid, I'm assuming she was she kidnapped. Was kidna- she was kidnapped as a teenager. Um, and then the person who imprisoned her um, also got her pregnant. And then it's his son. Oh, okay. That is that a spoiler? Is she would not... I'm no, assuming that's. I'm no, assuming that's, that's, that's 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 kind of okay. how it's always been. Like she was pregnant within the room. So it's obviously a very harrowing storyline, and I think it's one of those ones where you look at the trailer and you think this looks like a genuinely harrowing, um, almost uh, unsettling film. But everyone, I mean, I didn't see it at the festival, but uh, about five of my colleagues went to see it, and without question, this is the film that that uh, has had the best reception, I think, in the DCM office from all the films in the festival. They came back absolutely raving it, about it. It certainly, it feels like it could be this year's Whiplash, the little indie that could in the award season because Brie Larson herself is electrifying. She's great at everything, but this seems to be her star vehicle more so than Short Term 12 was. And Jacob Tremblay, as the little boy in the film, is an absolute real find. He's astonishingly good, almost frighteningly good. It makes you realise just you're not talented at all essentially that this kid can do this performance Um, and it is harrowing for sure but eventually it's kind of there are more happy tears than there are sad tears if that makes sense it's about living basically essentially and coping afterwards Um, so it's certainly affecting but not necessarily the kind of depressing that you think I'm never going to see that ever again you'll want to see it again and um, funny you should say whiplash because when people came back absolutely raving from seeing this film, the only film, the last film I saw such a, a unanimous reaction from pe- uh, people in the DCM office was Whiplash. It's out on Jul- January 15th. And January through Studio Canal, Do you yes. think it's a genuine Oscar contender? Absolutely. As long, it's definitely in the acting awards and also within the cinematography is amazing. It uses Tom Hooper-esque kind of off-framing st- style. Um, but it does it so that it feels really claustrophobic when they're in the room. And as it as the film progresses, it opens out and opens out and it really fits within, it tells the story along with the acting as well. And um, it won the Audience Award at the Toronto International Film Festival, did, yes. um, which is one of the most prestigious awards in the awards calendar. And the last five of the last six have included King's Speech, Im- Imitation Game, 12 Years a Slave, Silver Linings Playbook and one other which I can't remember Slumdog Millionaire so you know so these films have gone on to be huge critical and commercial successes yeah absolutely it's coming out even though it's coming out in mid mid in the middle of the award season it kind of feels especially because a lot of people love the book that people it's a faithful adaptation so I think the review is going to get that across and the word of mouth is going to come across and it could well do well at the box office as well in this country as long as people aren't feeling fatigued by awards films at that time well, I'm going to highlight a film which I saw um, uh, last week, and it's actually in cinemas already, so you have to go and see it. We won't dwell too much on this one, but I saw The Lobster, um, which is directed by Greek director Yorgos Lanthimos. Um, it came out on Friday, Picture House are releasing it, and I feel like it needs highlighting because it was a genuinely great, off-the-wall 
comedy, the sort of thing that uh, a genuine kind of singular creative mind could create and I think his films need highlighting because they're just they're so different to anything else out there you've seen Do- Dogtooth, Dogtooth yeah, his which I loved yeah. Yeah, well, this it's one, not for everyone though Dogtooth no, like, that's for sure like The Lobster it's not quite for everyone it's about a hotel where people go and um, where, where single people are sent and if they don't find a, a partner or fall in love within 45 days they're transformed into an animal and released into the woods and it's basically a satire on the ridiculousness of um forced coupledom and uh, online dating and that kind of thing and um, it's got an amazing cast everyone in it is famous and it's genuinely got some of the best lines and funniest moments I've seen in a film for some time um, and um, yeah I, I, I loved it I really thought I've, it was heard, I've heard some people say that the second half it kind of it feels like that kind of film I either some people are loving the first half and then put off by the second half or they love the second half and they're put off by the first half it seems well I, I didn't find that because I thought the f- they're very different the first mm. half when he's in the hotel and then afterwards where he's uh, he, he leaves the hotel uh, Colin Farrell leaves the hotel um, but I found that the first half while it had all the great lines and great moments but the second half became this really touching love story and I really appreciated that I mean it is very different and if you really if you don't kind of accept that the two halves are different then you are going to have an issue with it but I thought it was genuinely um, touching uh, uh, in the second half but and, and predominantly very funny in the first half now what was your second choice? My second choice was High Rise which if anyone knows me won't be that much of a surprise because I'm such a massive Ben Wheatley fan ever since his first film Down Terrace um, and it's an adaptation of J.G. Ballard's book about a high-rise building where uh, the floors depend on what class you are. And it centres on Tom Edelson's Dr. Lang, who is kind of very much middle class, happy to go about his life on the middle floors. And Luke Evans plays a character who decides that he's had enough with the class structure and decides that eventually he's going to try and work his way up to the upper classes, up to the penthouse where the owner lives. And essentially it's just a microcosm of society and how society basically falls apart within this high-rise. It's a bit fantastical, it's hard to watch at times. There are some certain moments that will put people off, but it's a very unique film and it's shot absolutely beautifully by Laurie Rose. And it's you said mentioned Tom Hiddleston. Who else is in it? Tom Hiddleston. You have got Luke Evans, Sienna Miller, Sienna Guillory, uh, Jeremy Irons, and plays the royal, the person who's created the building. And you've also got uh, Elizabeth Moss from Mad Men, and who I believe was in three or four different. Yeah, films she was in I think London three films at the first festival. She was here. She was there the whole time. And um, it's out in the UK on the in Mar- next yeah, March, eleventh of March, and. Yes. Um, it's a divisive film, I understand. For sure, yeah. It's certainly out of the press screen, I remember, at London Film Festival. You had as many people hating it as loving it. I don't think anyone's going to come out of it, much like the book. No one's going to come out of it and say, well, that was okay. They're either going to love it and fully get behind it, or they're going to think, what the hell have I just sat two hours through? We're a sales house, so if, you, if you're looking to advertise, probably in a 25-plus ABC1 male audience, then High Rise Next March would be a good one to go with. The second film I'm going to highlight is called Brooklyn, um, which I saw on Monday morning of last week and genuinely genuinely left me in a kind of blubbery mess because it was 
just very moving and it's it was just it was like a big warm hug of a film it stars Shorsha Ronan as a uh, young thank you very much as a young woman who um, lives in Ireland uh, I think it's County Cork no it's County Limerick and she uh, moves to Brooklyn of New York uh, to start a better life and she falls in love but she gets called back to Ireland when she has an issue with her family uh, and then it's basically her um, being torn between these two places which she th- thinks she calls home and it's got an amazing supporting cast uh, Julie Walters is just steals every scene she's in um, Emery Cohen who you may remember was the young um, son in The Place Beyond the Pines who I found slightly annoying in that film but in this film he's absolutely brilliant I would like I think he's a potential outside um, awards contender but Shorter Ronan most definitely is an awards contender it's funny it's romantic, it's insightful, it's beautifully shot, brilliantly directed by John Crowley, who mm-hmm. I think he, he won a BAFTA for Boy A about maybe 10 years, over 10 years ago now, and we've been waiting for him to make like a really good film, and this is it. It's was, His last film was Close Circuit. Close was Circuit. Absolutely which, terrible, Eric yeah, Banner, I mean, Rebecca Hall film. Yeah. You, and so, but he's been given another big project, I think because people re- recognise his talent and potential, and he's absolutely delivered on this one. I loved it. I mean, I would be I would close to give it five stars. It was that good, and um, it's out in the UK on the sixth of November. So yeah, you don't Lionsgate, have, yeah, Lionsgate releasing. You don't have to wait long to see it. Do you think it will do well? It's it's kind of I've seen it trailed heavily in cinemas, about on front of every single different film you could think of. Um, but it strikes me as one. I'm not sure it will drag people to the cinemas to see it. I think that it will get really well reviewed. I mean, it's already had a lot of five star reviews, um, and I think post bond there's a little bit of a week two week wasteland and then this comes along and i think this will offer something different to people who are perhaps bored of the um, blanket advertising of bond and want to see something different and i think this will offer us a, a really nice alternative i think it has the potential to to break out yeah i do and um, what's your third choice uh, the next film is very similar which is carol which stars Kate blanchett and rooney mara as a pair of lesbian lovers back in the 1960s. I think 50s. 50s. Yeah, yeah. 50s, Todd Haynes 60s, loves yeah. the 50s. Todd Haynes does love the 50s. And it absolutely looks immaculate. And it's already been talked up as being awards contenders for both Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara. Rooney Mara won in Cannes. Best actress for in Cannes, yeah. Um, and it'll be interesting to see when it comes to the Oscar season how they're going to deal with it. Whether they'll have the two goes head-to-head in the leading actress or whether they'll push Rudy Mara into supporting actress because she's effectively the supporting character in the film but they both share a similar amount of time. I think they are putting her as supporting actress yeah. and Kate Blanchett so, as lead actress which would make sense I think if they sense. want them to both win. But they're to both win. absolutely brilliant so there's every chance that both could win. It's a really underplayed, elegantly paced, emotional film um, that is happy to let you just go along with the characters. Essentially the focus is a road trip between the two when uh, Kate Blanche's character decides that she has to get away from her life and get away from her divorced husband who's taken her kids away from her, her, her kid away from her on this road trip where eventually they let their romance blossom in a time where it's not seen as right in society and it just absolutely swept me away. It was an early morning and you know when you see something in the early morning it sweeps you away into the world you know it's done something right. Um, and it helps that it's got an absolutely lush score that could well be also an awards contender for the soundtrack. And Todd Haynes is a brilliant director. I mean, he directed yes. Far From Heaven, which this, I mean, I haven't seen Carol yet, but it seems to have a similar field to Far From Heaven, which starred Julianne Moore and Dennis Haysbert, mm-hmm. 50s set melodrama, 
um, I think it's 2003, but a beautiful film, amazingly acted. And this one's out 27th of November, isn't it? Yes, I believe so. And I believe if, if uh, upmarket brands looking to reach a female audience in late November... And uh, before people get a bit tired of awards films, it feels early enough. Same as Still Alice this year felt late enough yeah, yeah. that people would want to go and see something like that again. And again, it's also an adaptation of a Patricia Highsmith novel, so they could have an inbuilt audience already who is going to go out and see it, and it will have five-star reviews across the board. Now, my um, next film that I'm going to mention, uh, and you, we saw this together actually, is Jeremy Saunier's Green Room, which is due out April next year, I believe. Yes, but Jeremy Saunier is the relatively young, he's 38 years old, director of Blue Ruin, which was a breakout hit last year, um, low-budget thriller, which was really expertly done and one of the tensest films I've seen for some time. Uh, Until you saw Green Room. Uh, uh, Green Room is uh, it stars uh, it stars Patrick Stewart as well. I'll get to Patrick Stewart's character in a second, but it's about a punk band who end up taking a gig uh, through desperation at a neo-Nazi punk club in out kind of the backwoods of Oregon. Um, something goes wrong at the club, and they end up holed up in the green room, and they basically have to escape. And things go very, very badly wrong. And it, Very quickly as well. Yes, and if you've seen Blue Ruin, you'll know how good Jeremy Saunier is as, as at filming just acts of violence. Like they, they have, they, he has this amazing, unerring ability to shock you with violence, even when you know it's coming. And Green Room, that is ramped up to 11. And it happened, the thing I love the best about, same as in Blue Ruin, in Green Room, the violence happens in a naturalistic way. It never feels like... There's never, like, a really slow build-up to it. It's literally every single time they try and escape, something horrific happens to them, and it happens to them so quickly and so just out of the blue that it doesn't give you time to settle. It doesn't give you... And it just... It's a shock to the system. Um, Patrick Stewart, as I said, he plays the leader of the neo-Nazi group, and it's a great performance. So, like, against type people will be surprised to see it, but he really does deliver it, doesn't he? Absolutely, yeah. And it's not... It's, he would be easy to overplay it as well, considering he's playing the leader of a neo-Nazi cult, almost, I suppose. But he doesn't play, overplay it, and it's just... But he's definitely not just Patrick Stewart. And um, the supporting cast is strong. Anton Yelchin... Um, Alias Shawcat, who you might know as maybe from uh, Arrested Development, Callum Imogen Poots, Imogen Poots Callum Turner, and as uh, as I said, this is the tensest I've been in a cinema from. I generally thought he was going to have a heart attack. Many, I, I, there were a couple of moments where I was so tense, I thought I was going to be sick. It was that kind of like. I, I didn't know what to do with myself and I couldn't look at the screen and I just was just I'd had a coffee beforehand I don't usually <laughs> drink coffee and um, I, it was the most intense experience I've had in a cinema for some and time without going to spoilers as well the thing that really impressed me about the film is that it has a satisfying conclusion there are so many of those high concept genre picks that just don't know how to end and this film feels like from the very start he knew how it was going to end and he knew that it's a perfect payoff to everything that comes before. And that's um, Picture House releasing this, I think, early... And with Altitude as well. Yeah, Picture House in in, um, conjunction with Altitude are releasing this early April next year. Do look out for it. It's going to be a real genre hit if you like that... um, uh, kind of brutal, ho- I wouldn't say horror, but it's there are elements of horror into mm. it, in it. Um, horror thriller, um, then like The Guest or like Blue Ruin, then this is right up your street. What's your fourth choice? Fourth choice is Tangerine from Sean Baker, which if you look on the poster is billed as a transgender revenge comedy, which almost is just a bad bit of marketing. It is exactly what it is, but essentially it's a story of two uh, transgender hookers in New York 
who one has just got out of prison and then realizes that her boyfriend who's also her pimp has decided, has been sleeping around while she's been in prison and she sets off on a journey across the city to find one his lover and two the him as well to exact her revenge on him and it's just an absolute force of nature it's fresh innovative it's exciting the two leads are absolutely brilliant especially because they haven't really been acting in anything before um they're pushing them which would be great they're pushing them for potential awards campaign and underground awards campaigns it leads up to next year which would surprise me but there's every chance that they could get recognition and this one's notable because it was all shot on an iPhone, iPhone 5S. Yes, and you would never know. I mean, it's got that kind of uh, indie film sensibility, but it's composed brilliantly. Um, there are some fantastic sequences um, and some very interesting ones involving a cab driver around the city, which it cuts to every now and then, and then eventually it all comes together towards the end. Well, yeah, I've heard nothing but good things about this one, so um, one to look out for. And my um, fourth choice is... Son of Saul, which another one. I mean, the, one of the things you point out about this is that you these are a lot of the press screenings are at nine a.m. in the morning, and some of these films are really challenging. And Son of Saul is all set at Auschwitz Birkenau, and it. I've only seen probably two or three films which had this amount, this power that this film had. One is probably the opening twenty-five minutes of Saving Private Ryan. And the second is uh, 12 Years a Slave. It's that kind of real intense, visceral power, realising just like her, the horrendous aspects of human nature. And But it was unbelievably powerful, incredibly acted, and from a debut director as well. Um, I think it won Best Director at Cannes, yeah, did it? I know it broke out in Cannes. Yeah, it won sure. Best Director at Cannes. And it's, got, it's out here, uh, released, I think, by Artificial Curves on Artificial Eye next April. But it's a genuinely brilliant film. Um, with scenes that I have never seen put on film before and I don't know if I want to see them put on film again, but it was a genuinely powerful film about a subject which pop, I don't think has been shown that many times on um, uh, on film, and so do check this out. And it, I think it's a really strong contender for best film, not in the English language, at next year's Oscars. Would you want to see it again, though? Probably not, but I would be interested just because it was just incredible filmmaking, the sort of thing, you know, I think... It didn't win. It was a part of the official competition and it didn't mm. win, but I think it's as good as anything that was on at the festival. And your fifth choice is? My fifth choice is uh, a film that doesn't have UK distribution at the moment, but it was from Michael Blythe's always brilliant cult section of the festival called Ratter, which is an expansion of a short film called Webcam that came out a couple of years ago. And it centres on a girl who's just moved into a new apartment and finds herself being effectively stalked throughout through through her life for no apparent reason the whole film like if you saw unfriended earlier this year is shot from the perspective of her laptop camera her um, games console camera and her mobile phone so it's all from her perspective ashley benson plays the girl and she's in every single scene and it's a brilliant engaging performance it'd been easy to be annoying in that kind of everyday life wondering thing but it's a film that works because it's effectively chilling because it's just so real when you see her and you see these shots of her looking at her phone you realize how much you look at your phone and then I know when I came out of the screen and I went home and I had to work on my laptop and I made sure I covered up my laptop camera straight away because it just gives you that kind of unerring weird chilling vibe that someone anyone could be watching you out there and again it's another genre pick where it knows it's got to deliver an ending and it delivers it in some style. 
Well, I'm glad you mentioned Unfriended because I thought that was a really underrated film. Unfriended. I, I personally, I personally, I loved Unfriended. I was lucky enough to catch it a year before it came out in its original title of Cybernatural at Fantasia Festival in Montreal. And that night, I came out after that, and I was literally raving about it to anyone who would listen. Well, really, really underrated. It came out back in May. Did about three million at the. It UK did well, Baltimore. I think, for for a genre, a genre film, horror film that has no notable names, really. And it was all set, and it was all from the position of people's webcams, and it was just inc- uh, one. It was of from the th- one girl's laptop. Um, yes, because it was all. It's all, all her screen. Yeah, yeah. Her screen. Whereas Ratter at least moves around a bit. And uh, what really kind of struck me in it was how creepy the Skype ringtone is coming out mm. of a cinema sa- sound um, system. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm going to look out for Ratter. And my final choice, and I've gone a bit left field here because I've seen a, a number of other good films, but I wanted to highlight Goosebumps, which is the Jack Black. Co- um, horror comedy but it's it's a been a, it's got a pg sir in the uk but, but it's been cut hasn't it i believe yes it's been um uh, it's from based on the books by rl stein who i think is the second best-selling children's author in the world or in history his books have sold over 400 million copies the goosebumps books this stars jack black and I, they've done a really clever thing with the conceit rather than adapting one of rl stein's books He's a character in the film, and all of the books he writes are locked on his shelves. And if you open one of the books, the character comes to life, and these idiot boys end up opening the books, and the characters invade this town. And I thought it was just a load of fun. I mean, it was the family gala. Um, it's coming out next February in time for February half term. So um, if you the February half term audience, I think you're gonna, it's going to be a really big fit, good fit for it. It opened in the US at the weekend, did over 20 million at the mm-hmm. box, which was a solid start for it. Um, I, I liked it. I thought it was really charming, and Jack Black gave a great performance. It, it seemed to go down really well from what I said. I, unfortunately, I really wanted to catch it, but I couldn't. Um, and it seemed to be going down pretty well throughout everyone who, for, especially for my kind of generation that grew up on the Goosebumps books, it kind of it might be seen as sacrilege, especially chucking Jack Black in there. But it seemed that they've treated them with reverence. I least. liked it. I really liked it. And apparently R.L. Stein is very happy with it as well, which is That's a good thing. That's what they always say, though. And uh, we mentioned Steve Jobs, which was the closing night gala. Uh, I'm afraid to say neither you or I have seen it, <laughs> but as soon as this podcast is finished, we're going to see it yes. at Picture House Central. But I did speak to uh, a colleague of mine, Anastasia Takis, who is our marketing manager at DCM, who has seen it, and she had this to say about it. I'm here with Anna now, and... I'll fess up straight away. I thought we were going to record this little segment before I got to interview Ian. But as it happens, I couldn't get pin Anna down. She's a very busy person. I couldn't pin her down until afterwards. And as such, I've now seen Steve Jobs as well. So I'll let you know my thoughts very shortly. But Anna, what did you think of Steve Jobs? I really enjoyed it. I thought it was an enjoyable film. I, I, there was a slight disappointment for me. I didn't think it was as Danny Boyle-esque as I maybe would have liked it to be. Um, and it, it's not to give anything away, but a lot of it, if not the majority, is set backstage at the kind of launches of his three, uh, not most famous inventions, but maybe quite iconic... Um, product launches, product yeah. Product launches. Um, and, yeah, it, that was a bit surprising for me. I thought there'd be more of him kind of on stage and maybe a bit more about his life. Um but no, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good watch. You know, I didn't overly love it, but... Well, this is where I come in because I thought this was really, really great. Like, oh, I amazing. Actually, I, I 
I could have watched it for another four hours. Uh, for, sorry, for another two hours. I thought. I agree. I could have continued watching, but I didn't feel blown away when I came out. Maybe that's the difference. I mean, one of the things is I'm I'm naturally averse to biopics. I'm not really that interested in people's lives, but I thought this was a really interesting approach to it. The fact that it focused on the th- three key product launches, and it was basically all an hour before the product launch, yeah. and it was specific characters coming in for each product launch so Seth Rogen and Steve Wozniak um, fantastic performance yeah um, Kate Winslet as his marketing manager the former CEO of Apple played by Jeff Daniels and one of his I think one of his product development guys played by Michael Stuhlberg yeah but um, just Rick it's the dialogue's written by Aaron Sorkin who wrote The West Wing and The Social Network and Moneyball and it's just some of the best dialogue that I I think you're going to hear in the next year and seeing great actors say this dialogue and I'm not interested in Apple I'm not really interested in Apple products but it made it really engrossing and the way it kind of dealt with the different products and you learn stuff about his life from his approach to these different products as well Absolutely, I, I totally agree. I think the I love Social Network, and I really love that element of it. I thought the the script is superb, and Michael Fassbender is just incredible. As considering he doesn't look anything like him, and in a lot of them, you know, a lot of biopics, they always try and find someone who looks like them. I think it's a brave choice to kind of go for someone who doesn't, but who you know is going to play that role incredibly. That and was he really what, nailed that. Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't. I, I would. I'd be honest. I say it wasn't until the third. Um, the third product launch where he's got the short hair and he's wearing the glasses and the black polo neck where I was like, oh, well, I really got into him as being Steve Jobs. But even up to that, he's so compelling as a performer. He's so charismatic. He's so good looking. That's the issue. So good. That's, That's the, the issue. issue. It's like, how Steve can you convince Jobs Steve Jobs because he's too good looking? Yeah. But yeah, I think my, my, the only thing that overrode enjoying it more was I just felt it was a bit too Hollywood. That was my kind of outtake. The whole thing with his daughter... I don't know. I just felt like it actually glorified him. He came out as a better person for me in that film than what I've read previously, and and that was a little bit of an issue for me. But yeah, script wise and performance wise, because that's interesting. Because I I did think he came out of it as a bit of an ass. You know, I but mean, if he's you've obviously read a genius. Stuff about him, but but do, you, do you know anything about him and his daughter before? If you've read a lot of stuff about it, he's a horrible. He's it sounded like he was a horrible dad. He denied her existence, or not existence, sorry, that's not right, that that he was her father for, I thought, up until he passed. So it that it's reflected a little bit differently to how I thought in the film. Oh. And I actually thought he came across better. But. Oh, interesting. Well, um, it's out in cinemas on the 13th of November. It's going to be a big awards con- Oscar contender, isn't it? I mean, F- Fassbender has is going to get nominated. Be, yeah, Danny Boyle nominated. is going to get nominated. Aaron Sorkin is, I think, may well end up winning um, Best original screenplay yeah. or is it an adapted screenplay because it's, uh, it's from a book isn't it so I think it's yeah, adapted, adapted. Um, so yeah I mean it's out November 13 and it's it, I think it definitely demands to be seen absolutely and it was an interesting one for me I think because I came out of it and it made me smile a little bit because it reminded me of my relationship with you <laughs> In what way? <laughs> We're doing big DC events, DCM events, and all the pressures and the demands and the estranged people turning up at your dressing room. Yeah. It's fun, yeah. So that uh, that makes I'm me not Steve comparing Jobs. myself not... to a Joanna Hoffman in yeah, any way. Yeah, you're Kate Winslet. So there you go. Yeah. Well, I, well, that makes me Steve Jobs, who, <laughs> you know, I, unfortunately, I um I bear very little resemblance in any way to Steve Jobs. But thing. thank you. Thanks to Anna. And I think, I mean, that that wraps up our coverage of the festival for this year, Ian. It, it was a good year, wasn't it? Absolutely. Especially for me, I always, it's such a huge programme that there's only so much you can focus on, really. 
Um, and I always, being a fan of anything weird and dark, I always focus on the cult strand. And this year it's especially strong because there was films that, while they might not necessarily have completely held together, like The Corpse of Anna Fritz and Yakuza Apocalypse, which I believe is coming out soon or is already out in the UK on home entertainment, it, there's always strong ideas within there. Um, and also they had Bone Tomahawk as the cult gala, which has just come out of from Fantastic Fest. And it was a, certainly it was a strong cult selection for sure. And um, every year is a strong year, but as you said, the individual strands, there's great stuff throughout it. And I I mean, I always get a sense of sadness on the Monday morning when I realise that the festival's over. And I already can't wait till next September when the programme for 2016 will be released. But finally, before we go, I've got to highlight quickly that the, fu- the new Star Wars trailer was released today. I think we need to mention it. You've, you've, you've watched the trailer. There was a trailer out today? There was a trailer out today. I think <laughs> yes. everyone on the planet has watched it. Absolutely, yeah. And it's as it carries on with most, J.J. Abrams is probably the best at doing trailers, I think, out there at the moment. Because it kind of feels, even though there's been so much hype, there's been so much build-up, there's so many pieces out there that says, oh, this could be happening, or this is happening, off from one stills of the other trailers, it still feels like we know nothing, nothing about, about the film at all. There's no storyline, and they talk about this being the final trailer, and it's effectively still a teaser trailer. I've got no idea what's going on. No. I can't wait to see it. And what's going to be bigger, Bond or Star Wars? <laughs> yeah, you had to put me on the spot. I would say, given... The crazy pre-sales yesterday, I believe the first 24 hours of pre-sales were the strongest ever for a film, ever, for Star Wars. It's probably going to be Star Wars. You're probably right. And um, I'm just going to highlight that I saw Bridge of Spies last week, and I'll talk about this on next month's podcast, but it is brilliant, and I loved it. Um, and so, But we'll cover that next month. Um, and that's all from me. Thank you, Ian, for joining me. Thank you, Tom, for having me. And I'll be back next month for the November DCM podcast. Whatever you go see in the next month, please do enjoy it. I'm sure you will because films are always good. Um, and thanks for listening. <laughs>